0: It's a great joy to be with you this morning. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you, Ben, for inviting me. Thank you, Chris, for looking after me. Thank you to you all. Particularly good to be here because I've not only been greatly encouraged but also intrigued by all that I've heard from Bishop Carraway, Alastair, others, about the good things that God is doing here at St. Peter's and all that has been happening over the last year or so, and the laying of the foundations for what is happening with the church families of St Mary's Brownstone Square and King's Cross Church coming together with the long-established church family here in Brockley. In the last decade, I have joined many. I've been Bishop of the Diocese now for nine years, and um, bishops have to go to significant anniversaries of churches. So I've lost count of the number of churches I've been to celebrating their 150th anniversaries. Uh, A community has been present here, a church community, for 150 years. And that says an awful lot about the expansion that was going on in South London in the second half of the 19th century in the reign of Queen Victoria. For pretty much all that time there has been a gathering for prayer here week after week and the church community has had a varied journey through that but there has been a praying presence here and this building stands as testimony to that and we give thanks for that And it has been dedicated to Peter, the brave, honest fisherman, flawed and human, yet our Lord's staunchest companion. When we read the gospel accounts of Peter in all his humanity, I think that does give encouragement to all of us that Jesus was prepared to work hard, even with the most challenging of people, and that should give us all hope, I think. My predecessor, Bishop Anthony Thorold, Bishop of Rochester, who covered this part of South London before Southwark Diocese was founded in 1905, visited here in 1881. His manuscript book, Handwritten of Visitations, is one of the treasures of Bishop's House. He writes of the vicar of St. Peter's, that he is eccentric, (laughs) but honest and shrewd. I like him. He was touched by our prayer together. Uh, Very interesting, some of these comments. Um, (laughs) Much has changed since then, but the deepest things remain the same as they always must and shall. We meet in openness and mutual love as members of the same heavenly family, and we pray together. And as I was saying when I was talking with the whole church family, including the children, one of the bishop's responsibilities as shepherd is to find a helper for each church so that the work of God can be taken forward in a blessed and lively partnership in the gospel. That is what is happening here now, and that is indeed a very great blessing. So, against all this rich background, I want us to reflect on the wonderful words of Scripture we have heard this morning. These are words to shape our lives and pondering these scriptures earlier this week, a verse from the Psalms kept coming to my mind. There is a rousing chorus which perhaps you sing here, and indeed, um, I think I might have heard it when I was arriving. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It draws on words from Psalm 118, verse 24. The verse before is the one that echoed as I read St. Paul, challenging the Corinthians to let go of their worldly wisdom and receive God's heavenly wisdom that actually always looks foolish to the world, that echoed louder as we heard the words of Jesus, commanding us to return good for evil and love our enemies, For this is the way of life. It's a very hard thing to do. Those words are immensely challenging if we let them speak deeply to us. To love our enemies and to return good for evil. And this being the way of life. Very, very powerful. And when we see the conflicts all around us, some in the community, some in the wider world, we we see a lot of evidence that those words are not being widely listened to and obeyed in our midst. And these are words speaking to us, that if we take them to heart, if we listen carefully to these words, we will, of course, be challenged, but we will become better people for it, and God will be able to work more powerfully in a more blessed way through us. And these words reflect what we are sharing today, and they reflect on the mission here at St. Peter's Broccoli and the wider mission of the Diocese of Southwark, which I was saying I simply describe as wanting to be Christ centered and outward focused. So, Psalm 118 verse 23, this is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. Those are the words that kept coming to me as I was thinking and praying ahead of my visit today. This is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. This is the Lord's doing and so it must always be. We must never be tempted to think it is our doing. It is always of the Lord, of the Lord's doing. When I was first ordained, I was curate in the parish of Sandhurst in Oxford Diocese in the Reading area. And um, if ever I had a good idea Uh, the rector would always say to me, oh Christopher, that's the Lord's doing. And I thought, will he ever say that's a very good idea, Christopher? (laughs) And I can't remember him actually doing it, but, uh, but it was a very good discipline for me, that our good ideas, of course we think they're ours, but they are actually the Lord's doing in our midst. This is the Lord's doing, it is wonderful in our eyes. And I I hold those words before me and share them with you because I think that is the right perspective for what the Lord is doing here and all the blessings and all the good things. Um, But I will say, Ben, you have had some very good ideas. (laughs) So I will say to you what wasn't said to me when I was a young curate. And unless the Lord builds the house... The psalmist writes in another place, the workers labour in vain. If it is our doing and not the Lord's, it will be nothing worth. This is what we have to hold on to as we open our hearts and minds to these scriptures. And they're very, very powerful because they are so countercultural. This is not how the world sees things. And we have to offer a different Christ-centered message, not of the world, but something that has the capacity to transform the world, particularly unjust structures. This is the Lord's doing. Paul himself says this, he knows his strength and worth, and he is not ashamed to speak of it. He has laid a foundation as a wise Builder, but he knows that he works by the grace God has given him. He knows that without the Lord, under and around it, nothing will stand. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. These again are immensely powerful words which we need to let reverberate and resonate and sink deeply into the very depths, the inner depths of our being, words which we should be saying. So think of it this way, imagine if we were all told we must from now on stand on our heads. Some of us, perhaps younger ones, could get into position and teeter on their heads for a few seconds or minutes. I don't think I'll ask if anyone wants to try, perhaps after the service, but scarcely anyone can stay in that position for long. And for most of us, myself very definitely included, it would be nearly impossible. What would we need? Well, parents, have you ever done this for your children? To stand on our heads, we really do need someone stronger than ourselves. Often, to start by holding our ankles and perhaps to be kind and place a cushion under our heads. The impact of a hard floor very, very quickly felt if you're standing on your head. And what is it that God asks of us in our Bible readings today? Just that to stand on our heads. In terms of what the world asks of us, God is asking something that is in fact the polar opposite, which we cannot do without his aid, because this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our sight. We are called to stand, spiritually speaking, on our heads. St. Paul says If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Well, in fairness to my training rector, although he always said, any idea I had, that is of the Lord, Christopher, he did say to me before I took my first school assembly, When you take your first school assembly, Christopher, you will understand what St. Paul meant by saying you must become a fool for Christ. (laughs) So this is as challenging as it was in the first century in Corinth. Today's world is filled with very convincing voices, teaching that the world is nothing but matter, And we are nothing but the product of our genes and our neurobiology. The world of commerce, which year by year becomes dominant in daily life, is not all bad, for it provides us with food and shelter and luxuries, often in too much abundance here in this part of London, where there are significant pockets of deprivation, but there is also a lot of affluence, a lot which we could share with others and should share with others. But it yet pushes the line that our purpose is to produce and to consume. How hard do you work? How much do you earn? How much is your house worth? What car do you drive? These questions weigh heavily on the minds of many, perhaps on our minds too. In this world, to be able to give a good answer to those questions is to show in the eyes of the world we are wise. This kind of worldly wisdom is never new. William Wordsworth had it in mind when he wrote a famous summit 200 years ago that begins, The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending we lay waste our powers. Yet today, the worldly wisdom of getting and spending is more powerful and prevalent than it ever was in Wordsworth's day. Getting and spending is the general rule. And to that, the great premium we place on personal choice. Because I'm worth it, as the L'Oreal slogan says, The great purpose of our lives, we are told, is individual freedom of choice at every possible moment of the day. Clearly there is some good that is behind that, but also it can go way in the wrong direction and can make us incredibly self-absorbed, selfish people, and often does. Humility, listening to one another and to God, Acceptance, endurance, perseverance, are often today counted as the world's foolishness. Above all, obedience. Pretty now, that word is more commonly thought of as a vice rather than a virtue. Though it comes from a word which simply means to listen. If you're being obedient to the will of God, you are listening to the voice of God. No more, no less. It doesn't have to be overlaid with lots of command and control language. Obedience is simply about listening. It's what springs. It's the virtue that springs from listening to God, listening to the will of God, listening to the voice of God, in the Scriptures. St. Paul calls us instead to live not in the economy of the world, but in God's economy, to live the truth that to give is to receive, to live outward in love towards others, not to measure ourselves by how much we have or by how hard we work, not to measure ourselves at all just by this, Above all, he kills us to live in obedience to our loving Heavenly Father, truly free, not because of some illusion, but because by the cross of Christ, by the blood Christ shed for us on the cross, he sets us free to live the real lives for which he has made us. That is true wisdom but it is very often foolishness to the world in which we find ourselves. To live this way is to stand on our heads, and we cannot do that unaided. We can only do it when it is the Lord's doing and when it is wonderful in our sight. So, actually, as we peel back the layers of Scripture today, we see there's a very, very big challenge in it, which we need to be attentive to. Then turn to our Gospel. We are in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We know Jesus preached a similar sermon more than once. He was the Saviour of the world and no mere teacher, but he was indeed a great teacher. Throughout his teachings, we hear the same logic that we see in his life, death, and resurrection. For what is the greatest victory ever won in the history of the world? Why? What? Well, it's the catastrophic defeat of the cross. It is precisely through refusing to answer evil for evil that Christ overcomes evil. And this theme is everywhere. It runs deep. It runs through the veins of the Gospels. Those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the Gospel will save it. The last shall be first. Whoever is first among you must be servant of all. It is better to give than to receive. Again and again we are being called to challenge the values we perhaps have just just been inculcated into us and to see what Christ-centered, outward-focused values amount to. And no more so than in the verses we have heard this morning, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the way of freedom This is the way to letting go of fear, resentment, ambition, disappointment, keeping them in their right places. This is the way of gentleness that builds up the community. This is the way to peace, peace among all people, peace in our hearts, that gift of God which nobody can take from us. It is built on perhaps one of the most important doctrines of the Christian faith, the doctrine of forgiveness, that we should be those who not only seek forgiveness, but are prepared to be forgiving people, to forgive others. That is very difficult, very hard. I'm not pretending it is. I'm not saying it may not be a very, very long journey to reach from a point of rejection or betrayal to a point of forgiveness. But we are called not to run away from that challenge right at the heart of the gospel today. So this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in His sight. This is what we are all hoping for and striving toward here in here in the Diocese of Southwark as a whole, and pray God across the whole of His church. Of course, we do not always go in the right direction. We stumble frequently on the road, and we help each other up. But this is the road we are on. This is the way we tread. This is the way that is Christ, along which Christ himself walks towards the heavenly city whose light is Christ. So it is very good to know that we are walking this way together. God has given a very good vision to this community of faith here in Brockley, and I am glad it is placed boldly on the website for all to read to be a family on mission to bring people home. Family, mission, home. We are together as a family, all children of the same Heavenly Father, making the necessary effort to be open with one another, to forgive, to repent, to love. Together we have work to do. God is sending us to do this work. God calls us to be part of His work. And that work is to welcome others into the home God has prepared for us all. As we live the risen life of Christ, the life of love, the life of peace, as we stand on our heads, living by God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom, as we live it, we also turn outward to give it to others. As we have received, so we give. A family on a mission to bring people home. Thus, if you ask what must we do, it is the simple answer St. Paul gives in the letter to the Corinthians, and Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount, become fools so that we may become wise. Love our enemies, be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And if this comes to pass, then as we live that risen life, rejoicing in the love we have for each other as members of God's family, we will truly say, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen.